everyone and welcome to a new mini series here on FF Plus where we will be having a conversation each week about Amazon Prime Video's new show The Lord of the Rings The Rings of Power. But first, introductions. I'm Aaron, one of your hosts and founders of Feelin' Film, and joining me for this adventure is a longtime FF contributor and fellow Tolkien superfan, newly misses Aaron Hundley. Aaron, thank you. I am so glad you're here. I am really excited that we get to kind of go on this journey together. It's always fun to podcast with you because we're Aaron and Aaron. Thank you for reaching out to me and suggesting that we talk about this because I was dying to do so and I just needed somebody else. Just you're, you're my yin to my yang. That's not a thing. That would mean we're opposites. So that's bad analogy. But I mean, yin and yang also do complete each other. So Okay. Well, for this podcast purposes, we're going to go with that. Well, quick spoiler alert, we are going to spoil the heck out of both episode one and episode two of The Rings of Power. And we're new to serial television podcasting. I think we've done some a little bit in the past, if I recall. I think we did some Game of Thrones stuff. I can't remember. Was it Westworld? Yeah, I think we did week over week for the last season. And everybody just got to hear our disappointment. Yeah, that was kind of a bummer season. I think that, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I wish we could have gone back in time and done it for like the hype season. No kidding. I was like wondering what we, I couldn't even remember what we covered exactly. And and it kind of killed the idea for us. It was like, well, that was a bad experiment, but we're back and we're doing it again. And we're going to kind of stumble our way through this and evolve and we'll get better as we go. Uh, But yes, full spoilers in effect. With that said, hopefully you have checked out the show. It is streaming now on Amazon Prime with your subscription. Amazon, what, what, two? What's the two? The first two episodes. First two episodes are streaming now. Third episode uh, will be out on Thursday nights, Pacific time at 9 p.m., I believe, and at midnight Eastern and whatever the rest of the time zones equate to. Is it back at 9 p.m. now for next week? Yeah, that's what, well, that's what okay. I've read. I don't know for sure, but that is, that's what I've seen so far. Let, I'll, let me see. <laughs> I feel like, well, because I know this, this first week was such a, like a break from the norm mm. of like 6 p.m. And how, um, like normally Prime Video doesn't advertise tuning in on that Thursday, like, cause everything up until now was saying nine two nine two, And then all of a sudden they made a global release for nine one at 6 p.m. So I don't know whether or not that's going to be like the trend for the next episodes. They usually like, don't they usually put it on the app like next episode on this date or whatever? I don't know. The PV app is so different. Yeah, I was, I Googled it because I'm addicted to organization. And so I put every single episode onto my calendar for this show because I was like, this takes priority over. Calendar event, invitees, myself. Everything (laughs) else in my life is blocked out for that hour of time each week. Yes. But yeah, if we... No, I'll, yeah, yeah I, I trust your Googling then. Yeah, Google it and make sure. But regardless, it, it will be releasing weekly starting with this next upcoming week of Labor Day uh, and going on for seven more episodes after that. So I think it's an eight episode series. Um, and yeah, we're excited. So who are we? We'll start there. Um, what is like our history? Why are we excited to even talk about this show? I'll start by saying that neither of us are super, or, well, I'm sorry, neither of us are scholars in any really shape or form. Like, we definitely have read our fair share of Tolkien. 
we know the movies and the books to a fair extent, but we are not lorologists <laughs> and we are not going to get every single detail right. So if you're looking for that sort of literary deep dive, you may not get it from us, um, but you are going to get some incredible passion. Aaron, what's your history with the Middle Earth and Tolkien stuff? So I was first introduced to Professor Tolkien's work um, with The Hobbit. I started, I read that for the first time, I want to say in eighth grade. That was my first like big dive into huge world building fantasy. And it really like set the bar, which is really hard to <laughs> compare things to after that. But I used to read The Hobbit and Treasure Island every year without fail. Um, I stopped in college when I started uh, having to read a lot more requirements for school. And unfortunately, like I probably read it now once every couple of years, but it's still to this day one of my all time favorite books. And it's probably the most or one of the most well-worn and well-loved books on my shelves because of it. Um, I still have the original copy that I got in the eighth grade. So it's something that I've, I've taken with me to house over house, state over state every time I moved. Fun fact, though, I actually have not read the Lord of the Rings series. Um, my best friend has been egging me to do it for years. I have wanted to do it for years, but I'm also afraid that the minute I start, I'm going to want to delve into all of the other ones, too. And with so many other books on my TBR, I've been kind of like saving them for, you know, like that special time when I'm ready. And I just have to tell myself, like, after these three, just take a break. So I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to do it actually after the show ends in mm -hmm. October. So I think the final episode airs the middle of October. Um, and so I'm thinking that I'm going to uh, be able to set aside like those as like my three winter books, since like I read pretty voraciously when I try to. So I'm hoping to do all three of those at the tail end of this year. Um, but I was very interested in Tolkien's early works and the things that he used to do in college and kind of the iteration of how Middle Earth came to be. Um, so like you said, you know, big Lord of the Rings fans, massive movie fans. Um, you know, I very much love the world that he's created and how rich it is. Um, so yeah, definitely not a scholar, but 100% a mega fan. And an author, right? So yes, you have I, well, I that tie-in yeah. as well. Yeah. So you're a writer and I can see where there'd be some extra inspiration just from kind of learning about the way that he created this because it is very special in the world yeah. as far as the depth of the the whole society and languages and everything that he was able to create. I got into it in high school similarly. That's when I first read The Hobbit. And it's it's really interesting to hear you say this because I read The Hobbit every single year. It is the only book that I read every single year and have of my life. And I'm sure I've you know missed a year or two here and there like you're talking about. But for the most part, it is the one book that I come back to. And I have read or listened to it in so many different formats. You know, I think last year I got to experience the Andy Serkis narrated audiobook version oh. of it, which really was just phenomenal. He's he's a category in and of himself. Like I, you, I know we've talked about it in our Facebook our fill in film Facebook group, but like I could go, I could, I could write a thesis paper on the wonder that is Andy Serkis. Absolutely. I can't do audiobooks from a fiction standpoint. I can't be read to, I'm not orally receptive for uh, fiction, um, but I desperately want to do it. I just know that like, I'm not actually going to be paying attention to the book if I'm read to, but I've heard his narrated version is absolutely amazing. It is. And he did the Lord of the Rings trilogy as well and i've i've listened to those within the last couple of years and it's just it's so perfect he he will forever be synonymous now with the works of tolkien because of his performance obviously in the books or in the movie sorry uh, as Gollum. so yeah i mean i latched onto it at a young age i don't know why but i just fell in love with it i think the idealism of the world 
really appealed to me. I loved Wizards and Gandalf, and I have just immersed myself. I've read a lot of the side stuff. Not all. I mean, I've read this. I've tried to read the Silmarillion several times, so I've read parts of it here and there. I've probably learned more about the stories in the Silmarillion from a Tolkien encyclopedia that I have, where I kind of like get like the bullet point notes, paragraph yeah, notes. I've heard, it's, I've heard it's semi-dense to get through. It's like that. reading the Bible. It's, not, it's definitely not for anything. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not for really anyone. Rough. But uh, Children of Hurin, I read a few years ago, an absolutely incredible story. Baron and Luthien, I actually just read a couple days ago because I felt like it was relevant to a specific plot line in this and I wanted to have that knowledge. Everything I've ever read, I adore. And I, mean, I have a cat that's named Strider after Aragorn. My dog is a red dwarf of a puppy named Gimli. So I'm pretty obsessed with this world and universe and have been very excited about the show. And so did you sorry, did you do any like aside from uh, rereading that story? Did you do any other like Lord of the Rings prep work to go to the show? Because like I personally and very intentionally went into the show blind. So yes, I've re I've watched Lord of the Rings, the extended edition a billion times and everything like that. I've watched all the Hobbit movies. But like I specifically didn't want to do a rewatch anytime close to this the show itself. I started another rewatch of Lord of the Rings after I'd done the first two episodes because then I was all of a sudden like, yeah, let's do this. Um, but I really wanted the show to like sit on its own. Own. I wanted the show to like not necessarily be like a palate cleanser, but I really wanted to not be comparing it to Peter Jackson Absolutely. while I was watching it. So did you do any like rewatch or any like world deep diving before you, you jumped into the show? I failed. So I, <laughs> I have the exact same belief as you. I think you I think that's correct. I think that's the best approach was to not revisit it. Right. And like you said, just don't compare it. Let it stand on its own. I had tried to lessen my hype for the show. I was never against it. I never participated in any of this sort of. I think all of us tried to come in with a really low bar. Exactly of right because like, you nothing you're against nervous. the show. Nothing exactly like it's something that, understandably so, a lot of us are very very attached to, and we're already emotionally invested in a world that was created. So, it's not necessarily that we're all like, oh, this show is trash. It's going to be awful. But we're all keeping our expectations low so that we don't end up with another season eight Game of Thrones. <laughs> right, exactly. Like it just, you know, go over above, just it could be decent and we would feel better about it that way. And so that was my plan leading up to the show. I actually didn't watch a lot of promo for it. I tried to stay off and re I didn't read the big articles and the magazines that came out. And about three days before <laughs> it <laughs> launched, I gave in and I rewatched the movies. I've had the 4K copies for a while and I was like, it's time. I got to try these. And so I rewatched the trilogy and just, I, I fall right into it. It's like a warm blanket for me and I was ready to go and hyped. And luckily, we'll get into our reactions, of course, here in a minute, but luckily it did not have any sort of negative effect. Um, it could have, it, it certainly could have. So it was a risk, but I dodged a bullet and, uh, and it didn't, it did and added to it for me in the end instead of taking away from it, thankfully. What were your initial thoughts? So Ken, you just touched on this. Like we were a little bit reluctant. So the series was purchased by or the rights were purchased by Amazon to the trilogy, The Hobbit, the appendices, which a lot of the information is pulled from, the the famous appendices, uh, to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that's about it. Like they didn't have the rights to the Silmarillion, don't have a rights to the Unfinished Tales, um, or or many other of the side story books that Tolkien wrote 
set in Middle Earth. And yet they decided right off the bat they were going to do a five-season run. And the first season, including, I believe, marketing and some of the run-up costs, was like $715 million. It's been rumored that the whole show is going to cost probably over a billion uh, when it's all said and done, which is a lot of money, if that is true. Uh, even for this first season, it's tracking right now at the most expensive show in history per episode. There is a lot of expectation that comes with having the rights to this, following up Peter Jackson's, like, where were you when it got announced and, and leading up to it? So what I find really interesting is that so much of this was kept so quiet for so long. So it was one of those things where like, you know, there were some rumors, especially when it came to like the bidding war and the rejection and everything like that, and what they were actually going to be able to secure the rights for. Um, When I found out that, like you said, like they didn't secure the rights for a lot of the other side stories, but really for stories that had already kind of been told already. I was really interested to see what they were going to do because I was like, okay, well, like if you only have access to Hobbits and like concerning Hobbits and Lord of the Rings, I just assumed that they were going to essentially retell maybe because I have always felt like books, books that are high fantasy, we all, again, Peter Jackson, absolute goat. Those movies are beyond, you know, approach. You cannot criticize them and not be looking like an idiot, but fantasy books in general, I have long, long held the belief that they are better for TV formatting than movies. Because yes, Lord of the Rings was one of the very first movies where all of us were willing to sit in a theater for two plus hours every single film and be fully immersed in that. However, it doesn't mean that a lot of stuff still wasn't left out of those stories. And so I thought, okay, maybe they're going to just do a more in-depth version of what we've already seen on theaters, but include, you know, some of the sub stories that were left out because they didn't have enough time in film, in film format. Tom Bombadil, and Scouring so, of the Shire, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so I, I thought they were just going to do more in-depth stories that, that maybe didn't necessarily focus on just Bilbo and Sam or just Aragon. You know what I mean? Like I thought they were going to really just delve into more of those subplots. Um, but then when we found out that like, what they were creating was they took essentially the appendices and wrote a story connecting the dots and the lines of what they were able to piece together between the prologue concerning hobbits, appendices, and Lord of the Rings. And the fact that they chose to do this at an age that is so far removed from the stories that we've been given so far is pretty impressive in my opinion. Like the writers that they announced were going to be like helming this journey are like incredibly talented writers. I think all of us were again, nervous and hesitant. All of us came into this with a lower bar of expectations. And I feel like almost all of us have seen some beloved stories be ruined. I, I'm i still very, very hurt over the Aragon movie. Um, it will forever be something that has like scarred me when it comes to book to film adaptations. But when am like I was, I went into it very, very hesitant, but I can absolutely say that like they set themselves up for success. So I kind of went into that first episode like, well, as long as they didn't just like set everything on fire, they've they've put all the dominoes in place. Hopefully somebody just has to tip them over and it goes okay. Yeah, I, I think I was in a very similar book or book. Gosh, why can't I? It, this is early on a Sunday morning. This is not a normal right. podcasting time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> similar play. Aragon is getting a series, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't it, did that get announced or am I imagining things? I, it's the same way that we all know if you, if you follow me on literally any platform, or even if you're in our filling film group, 
something that I will die over and I will like go to my grave defending aside from the fact that Parks and Rec is better than The Office is that Avatar The Last Airbender is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. When I see that all of a sudden these companies are like, oh, we're going to do a series of this. They've also said that they're going to do that with Avatar. They've said like, it's it's one of those things where I refuse now to get my hopes up Until. when I don't, like I haven't seen any concrete evidence that I'm like, oh, I could actually get at least like a little bit hype for this. So Aragon as a TV show, to me, does not exist until I see something concrete that says this is actually happening. I like it. I think that's fair. That's very fair. And you're right. We've all been burned by adaptations that have not lived up to our expectations. And there's just an inherent inability for any adaptation to ever be fully complete, right? Because you you just, I mean, they're just different formats. And we love it's them your both. Head also, like yeah. nothing's going to ever be what it is in your head because it's not like the director was like, "Hey, let me download your brain juice and then I'll put it on screen." <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, I'd sign up for that if, uh, cool. if somebody wants to, you know, do that and spend millions on my version. But uh, yeah, I feel the same way, and I agree a hundred thousand percent with you about the adaptation of fantasy stories being better for the small screen series serial telling storytelling than movies which is crazy because i'm much more of a movie guy overall but these are epic stories by nature we are following multiple characters multiple interweaving storylines across an entire world like you just can't pack it into a even a four-hour movie and it be as complete and as thoroughly engrossing and emotionally affecting as it could be if you were to get the budget do it right and do it like Game of Thrones has done and like we see and expect and hope that this series is going to be able to continue to do. It just is the optimal format when you can pull it off. And I think that a lot of people, and I know like we have it there on the side, but like a lot of people expected Prime to handle this show in a similar fashion like Game of Thrones, where it was going to be a lot of special effects thrown in, a lot of sex, a lot of like nudity, unnecessary violence, especially violence against women. Like the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones were atrocious when it came to their treatment of women. And that's something that I think... um, a lot of us kind of had niggling in the back of our mind, like, are they going to do this to like, kind of get people in the door and hope that like this, you know, shock value gets people there. So I think that there was also that hesitation of the big, large format fantasy shows that we do have exposure to right now use a lot of gratuitousness in their film styles that can really like pull people out of the story. And Lord of the Rings has never been about like, massive amounts of violence against a specific group or even like a specific character subtype i guess i mean orcs kind of i guess <laughs> yeah well, orcs but don't count they're <laughs> they're they're like not a main like driver evil. so In, like exactly nature. yeah um so it wasn't just like aragon just randomly like decapitating you know hobbits as he you know rode through the shire or anything like that so i think there was also that form of hesitancy for all of us is that all of us were like how are they going to handle this? Is it going to be a show for adults? Is it going to be a show for everybody? So I think there was also that level of, you know, mm, how are we going into this? Hopefully, oh, actually, that'd be interesting. What if we got like an episode on an orc redemption story? The orc that no longer wants to oh serve gosh. Sauron. And the he's, orc that he's, falls in love with an elf. He's Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, see, that is the kind of storyline that I would expect from Hollywood and would just drive Oh my me gosh, crazy. we can make a Hallmark movie out of it. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> it's got to be Christmas. It's got to oh, be said. Urukai love you. Oh. <laughs> Urukai love you. That's it. 
Oh, Nailed it. my goodness gracious. <laughs> Somebody hire this woman immediately. You're welcome. Oh, okay. Well, with that, let's get into this actual story that does exist and that doesn't involve yet any orcs that are falling in love with elves. The story is set in the Second Age, just to set the stage for anybody that should need any sort of rem- reminding about this. And it is roughly 3,000 years before the events of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, which was set in the Third Age after the defeat of Sauron. So the big kind of topics that this season or this series should be covering is the forging. Sorry, wait. Go ahead. Quick question. Yeah. Quick question. Sauron or Sauron? Oh, I do. We, we all know do we how have to I agree? feel about. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just. Like, I honestly I don't. Is there find a correct it so way? So interesting with like pronunciations in fantasy books because all of us are all like, "Well, I read it like this." Like, how many people? Nobody read Hermione's name correctly until somebody came out and said her name is Hermione. That's very true. Um, but yeah. like, I think about all of us. All of us were so upset about Smaug. Yes. Smaug. Nobody would ever <laughs> pronounce it that way. It's Smog. Yeah. Period. But like I, I always just find it interesting how people's brains will translate. Like Keller Brimbore, I would have never pronounced it that way. Absolutely wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. I only know how to pronounce his name because of a different piece of media that I'll talk about when we get to his oh, section. Interesting. Okay. But I call him Sauron. So are you a Sauron? I am a Sauron. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, you're going to hear it different. Different listeners, we're talking about the same person. <laughs> say you, say you, Ron. So yeah, so it's going to cover the forging of the rings. It is going to cover the rise of the Dark Lord, we will just say. Uh, <laughs> it is going to cover the epic tale of Numenor, most likely, which was an island nation of men. They were gifted this, uh, this island kingdom by the gods. And it's got a tragic story about a fall of civilization, essentially, kind of like Atlantis in a way. So we're probably going to see that. I think we're probably already seeing hints of that in these first two episodes. It's going to show us a bunch of a last alliance of men and elves back before they kind of stopped working together. And who knows what else? Because like Aaron said, they are able to take these big pieces of story and then fill in the dots. And I think that was one of the main things that is important to accept when you go into watching this show. Most of the criticisms I've read have been about detail, time timelines, and very minute type of specific things that people are like, that's not Tolkien. Neither was oh, Lord of the like, Rings. You mean like Black Dwarves? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can talk about that. Not, I can't. I can't give myself. I can't give energy to that anymore. Good. Good for you. Um, even the Lord of the Rings, though, was completely different. I mean, the structure of the two towers is not the structure that it happens in the books, and people seem to forget that or not know that. Even if you're just fans of the movies, some people just want to be mad about things. They do, and I think I'm excited about them being able to fill in these blank spaces, and it gives them a canvas to imagine stories that would fit within this world and all you need is people with the passion and the ability to do that and so far i feel like the tone the language to me feels like it fits with what tolkien maybe wouldn't be what tolkien did right might not be the same story beats and that's fine but it fits in the world that he created to me and I think that's something that a lot of people forget. And and I think everybody can say with pure honesty that unfortunately fandoms over the last five to 10 years have become really toxic in a lot of ways. And that like, if you don't do things the exact way that they are interpreting the author wanted versus like, nope, I'm sorry, he's not here. Like you can't ask him. 
So how you, like we just talked about pronunciations, like there are different ways to interpret what people have written um, separately. Like there's a long, there's a conversation happening on Twitter right now where like if you see the words tall, dark, and handsome, a bunch of people will say that is a tall white man with dark hair, brown eyes, and like really sharp features. But a lot of people would interpret that also as that is a tall black man with dark, like dark hair and dark brown eyes because they called him tall, dark, and handsome. So how you interpret one sentence can be very different than how another person interprets it, which could also be different than how the author intended it. So like to go into this, you have to understand this is not an adaptation. Like nobody at Prime Video is saying that this is lore, that we are creating this show based off of lore. But the stuff that they did create, they cite. Like they tell you exactly where they base this information mm-hmm. off. Like if you check out all the x-ray trivia, it cites exactly like this is based off of this. I did it first and time. And so I did it. it's it's so like it's so in-depth. Like it. it's there's so much in there that if you're not if you're if you're curious about where something came from, it tells you literally right there. And I think that a lot of fans have to go into this understanding that like we're just filling in gaps here. It's not lore. Nobody's saying that this is the Bible of all things that are Tolkien. It's just we're connecting dots and we're creating new imaginative stories with the materials that we've been given. It's fan fiction. Yep, it is. Well, absolutely, it's fan fiction, and it will eventually. And that's amazing. End up where we got with the Hobbit, right? As long yeah. as it ends up there with characters in appropriate places, that's the thing. You got three thousand years to play with. Like, no, the vast majority of these are not going to be alive or in any exactly. sort of place, you know, except the elves, probably. Yeah, I was like, you know, a couple of the elves or whatever. But, you know, it's it's a total canvas to mess around with. And I and I love that. The the Harfoots one was annoying me, too. I would see comments on Twitter about like, oh, they're trying to be all fancy and not call them hobbits. No, no. No, the Harfoot is a literal type of hobbit. Like there are multiple types of hobbits. And again, it's like people who have never. It's a race of people. All they they know must be like the movies. They just know things in a funnel. Yeah. That's all they know. And, And I don't mind people who only know those things. I just mind people who pop off as if they know more than they Yeah, or really people do. <laughs> that claim that even if they only know this, they're not open to experiencing or gathering different information. It's like people that are like, no, this is the way it is, period. And it's like, no, just like expand a little bit. Just I've had a blast. Yourself, I, grow. I have an encyclopedia, like I, I mentioned earlier, that, that has, you know, paragraphs and it's like it's like alphabetical order. And I have used it so much in the last few days, even just prepping for this episode, or I've watched the episodes twice each, and I just have pulled it out, and I've just been diving in, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, so what about this character, and 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 kind of following dots and little like lore pieces, and it's just been such and a there blast. are new characters too. And there are new characters, like, yeah. Hallbrand, Hallbrand didn't exist before, I don't think. Like no, this is, totally we have new. no idea where his storyline is going to go, which I'm like, ooh, interesting. Yeah, I agree. Those mystery pieces. That's another thing that I noticed about the series format when I was watching it this time was there's this scene at the end of the second episode where Durin, Durin's, the two Durin's, Durin and his son, are opening this box and it's shining and we're looking at it from behind the screen, right? In a movie, you don't do that. You just show what's in the yeah. box and you move along because you're you're not trying to to leave a mystery for us to there's think no about. Entry, right. Yeah. But of course, I'm like, oh my god, is that the Arkenstone? Is there like, I'm is pretty sure it's the predecessor Arkenstone. to I'm the Arkenstone, sure it's the Arkenstone, right? Arkenstone, yeah. It's eventually going to find its way to the Lonely Mountain, <clears throat> Erebor, which I, I climbed apparently. Yeah. Um, 
Sorry, and, I got you know, hocus pocus. So oh. hey, it's, at least it's fantasy. We'll we'll give you. Yeah, that. it's got magic and stuff. So anyway, okay. Well, I think the best approach for this is to talk about storylines because yep. that's the way shows are structured. So let's just start. We got the opening, which in general I felt was incredible, incredible way Beautiful. to suck us in to this world. And we learn right off the bat, Galadriel is going to be our POV character. She is kind of going to narrate us slash be the main and take us through this story. I just got to say, I am blown away already by Morphid Clark. Hopefully I said that correctly. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, you know, <laughs> and uh, I don't know her. She could, I mean, they I can correct you Scottish. if they want to. I, I was going to say, I think she's Scottish. Is she? Yeah. I was going to say, ask your husband. Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Well, he's Irish. So well, I know, but I, Yes. Okay. Sorry. I don't want to like, I didn't mean to like, but they're similar. Uh, Ooh, you're no in trouble. Oh, it's, are they not? See, there she's I Welsh. Go. She's, she's Welsh. Welsh. Okay. She's, she is a Swedish born Welsh actress. Interesting. I didn't even know Welsh was its own country until I started watching Welcome to Wrexham okay, well, it's, recently. It's, it's Wales. Wales. Sorry. No, I, real, I didn't know that Welsh was a language either, but they have a language. Oh God. Yeah. They don't use vowels. It's very weird. Um, it's very interesting. You should you should look up. It's like the longest word without vowels in it is a Welsh word. And really? Look it up and just see how you like. Just try to pronounce it. It's it's insane. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, Morphic Clark. She's like, well, we open with like the younger version of herself. But like it, it. I thought the opening. I would almost call it a prologue because it really does give a good like snapshot of information so that it can ground people in where you are right now and what's happened that led up to how elves even got to you know how they left Valinor, how they got to Middle Earth. Like I thought that first opening sequence of let's break this down, let's talk about like because they know fans are going into this with existing knowledge. They know fans are coming into this after having watched The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So I thought this was a, a smart way to set the stage. Yes, it does get a little, you know, show versus tell, which I know can get frustrating um, from a fantasy perspective. But there are just so many storylines in Lord of the Rings that I think this was the smartest choice they could have made with what they had available to them. We see a fell beast downing a great eagle. And I was geeking out so hard <laughs> at the visualization of what they showed us in this prologue. Like it was just awesome. Like the whole thing, like the whole setup with her and Finrod as as kids and, you know, kind of some foreshadowing about her journey that she's going to be on and then leading up to her automatically like right from the start being given to us as a badass warrior, as more than just a normal elf. She is special. Someone that mourns through revenge, not just sits on the side and cries in Absolutely. a pretty white dress. And is yeah, on a mission, an absolute mission, to source out this evil and eradicate it from the world and not accept that it might be gone because you haven't seen it for a little while, but to truly make sure that it doesn't exist any longer. And we get the amazing one action scene for her. I love that they were reserved with the action that we haven't got a ton of it in these two episodes. I think that it's much better that way. And just watching her take down the snow troll was, I, I mean, I, my jaw dropped. I was just like, this is, this is awesome to see her be that dominant that quickly because our only movie knowledge of Galadriel is as Kate Blanchett, playing the character, you know, 3000 years later, 
Who but can she's do no wrong. gone through some stuff. No like she's super powerful, but yeah. like, what would she have been like? Right? How does she get to that point? And oh goodness, I just it set the tone so well. And I thought they did a really good job because I feel like a lot of the female characters that we got in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit were definitely very effeminate, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they were very much even like um, even Tal Hobbit Elf Tal 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 I don't remember her name. Yeah, <laughs> she was made um, up. Yeah, but like even her, like she had this air of romanticism about her. And they were all beautifully portrayed. But what I find very interesting, and I'm sure a bunch of people on the internet are going to call her, you know, names, but like, I actually find it really interesting to see uh, her portrayal of Galadriel very um, cold and aloof and much rougher around the edges. Like she hasn't been softened because she is still grieving. She's grieving and she has a task. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this harder like I, I don't, she's like, she's, she is cold because there are moments where you're literally like, dude, show a little compassion. Like you're trudging through the snow and this chick has fallen and she just wants to like take a break. And you're like, no, we keep going. But like, I would, I, I'm excited to see how that becomes the Galadriel that we know in 3000 years. And so like, I find her portrayal to be significant. I like that it's very different than what we got from Kate Kay- Blanchett is like, neither one of them is wrong, but I like that we're getting a very a much younger version of this character that, like you said, has seen some stuff, has to go through her own grieving process for her brother and who she's trying to avenge. And everybody's essentially making her feel like she's a crazy person and that she's, you know, going mad with her own grief instead of, no, she's like, I know that this is still here. Like, I know that there is still evil present. Like, just let me go find it. Absolutely. And she is continuing in that mood all the way through the end of the second episode. She ends it by telling... Hal Brand and she's like, you will take me <laughs> to the last known location <laughs> and I will hunt them from here. Like she tells him, she doesn't ask him. She's like demanding things. And I agree, it's going to be fun to see the progression of that because obviously you catch more flies with honey. And so we'll have to but see some, some, I mean, theoretically, we'll, we'll have to see some semblance of, you know, negotiation and the ability to, to dialogue with people and not be quite so and I, forceful. And I've, but like, if we also look at her and, uh, gosh, I'm ter- like, you're right. This is not the best time to like do this. Cause I cannot remember people's names. To, like kill me right now. Is it Arondir, the other elf, like the male elf? Elrond is her friend. No, not Elrond. The, the, the king. So the silver elf, the one that's in love with the other character. Oh, the silver, like the silver yeah, elf. Arond- Sylvan, excuse yes, me. Yes, Arondir. Yes. Arondir, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to see like the very big differences in their personalities. But also like I look at Galadriel and I think elves have been absolutely mistreated by the people of Middle Earth. Like they came here to help and like over time that relationship has just waned because the war has just continued on and people are just tired of elves and their, you know, pompous attitudes and everything like that. And so part of me completely understands that Galadriel is like, I don't trust anyone. Like I, I can't, I can barely trust my people and my friends that are supposed to believe me when I tell them that this is still here. Like, why would I trust humans? And I know that we're going to have to see her chip away at that as the show goes on. So that's going to be interesting too. But like Erandir has like this much more casual attitude and much more grace for humans where I feel like Galadriel is going to be like, I will literally chop your hand off if you touch me and Aaron Deer's like no I get it dude I get it just like here's a beer I'm just I'm gonna, if I'm buy you a drink like you go sit in the corner you can steam you can stew whatever you want do whatever you want but like we're good 
we're good. That's true. He does present himself as much, much more diplomatic so far um, than she is. And she's going to go through some stuff. I think you're right. I think she's going to have some experiences that probably further turn her off from working with humans. I mean, that's what's going to create great dramatic tension over the course of five seasons. We need an arc. So she's going to have to be that way. But uh, I loved everything about it. I think the actress is just doing such great work. Clark is, there's such a range of emotions that she has to go through from that driven opening and in forward waith, which by the way, in case you were unaware listeners, uh, that place, the Northern wastes, the snowy land and that snow troll, that's actually where a bunch of dragons come from, including smog. So that's cool. Like there are probably cold dragons and drakes up in that area. I I hope we go back there because I really liked that. But, and that's also where a lot of the evil Morgoths stuff was and kind of spewed out from into Middle Earth. But uh, anyway, I like that her friendship with Elrond is this thing that is blossoming and that we see from the start because we know that they have a relationship in Lord of the Rings, you know, way down the line. So they've clearly been interacting. And it's fun to see how that plays because Elrond is very himself very diplomatic we've always seen him to be that way and we see the beginnings of that in his character here because he feel he, he is like wanting to be this politician um he's serving the king the high king gilgalad and he's very eager to just go along with what the king has said um despite the fact that he probably i think he's presenting to know deep down that galadriel is probably right and that giving up on this and just proclaiming that there's a peace when there's no for sure evidence of that is not the right call, but he's trying not to rock the boat. He's like someone running for office, trying to, you know, get his feet wet and then eventually get himself up into this position of power and being able to make decisions. And uh, I liked seeing how their relationship plays out. And I like seeing her reject and choose her own path and not just go to the, undying lands which i'm glad that we got to see her almost go to the undying lands because that was gorgeous beautiful absolutely like honestly like everybody obviously knows that this is the most expensive show in history but i think that they have put the money in the right place because some of the visuals throughout both episodes i was like absolutely floored by and i know i've i said it before but like in x-ray some of those episodic stills i have like wanted to screenshot and like save somewhere and I'm hoping that they release them separately because some of the some of that imagery is just like I can't like I can't even you know what I mean like it's just it's it's gorgeous and breathtaking and awe-inspiring all at the same way and like to watch her go through that like that sequence of events at the end of the episode where she does make a different choice than what everybody's watching because like you're sitting there watching you're like wait did all those people on the boat just like dissolve into sunlight like is that did they blow? I don't know what happened. Like they were there and then like got really bright and she jumped off. But like, did the clouds swallow them up? Did they just disintegrate? And they say like, Valinor is actually just you dying. But like the undying lands is actually, you have to enter it by dying. Um, but like they're like that whole sequence of events where you're seeing what she's going through mentally, what Nori's going through. Like you're just, you're seeing its pattern so beautifully and each tone of each scene as they go through that final sequence of events is so beautifully rendered and gives such different varying imagery across Middle Earth that I think that it was the perfect way to wrap up that episode is to show everybody's going through 
something that's going to be triggered by this one inciting incident, but on completely different playing fields, completely different, you know, locations all across Middle Earth. And I like the ending of that episode was was gripping. Yeah, definitely. I think that's part of how it's going to separate itself, too, from the Lord of the Rings, because the Lord of the Rings is wholly centered around a quest of the fellowship in this one group. Yes, they split and we get two different paths within that. But this is many different races that are all over the place being affected by these new evil that is appearing in different ways. And they're not just all going to come together and be a group and we're going to see them do things separately. And we're going to have these experiences from their perspectives and their cultural perspectives, which has been awesome so far. Uh, do you think anything of Halbrand and how that whole thing? So we got the worm in the ocean, the big ocean dragon, which was cool and scary. And this after Gladrill has basically defeated all of Michael Phelps's records in history. Katie Ledecky, Michael Phelps, no match for this woman. This elf has swam across the ocean. Who knows? Actually, we don't know. It could have been like right over the horizon or something. She but could have just floated for a while. I, it's pretty across. funny. Like you just see her in the middle of nowhere and she's just like, you know, out there just going. Yeah. But of course, elves have great endurance. But she she meets sure. up with these people on a raft. Halbrand's there. Do you have any thoughts about Halbrand and that relationship and how it might play out? I one, I really hope it doesn't turn into romance. Um, I know I'm very, I know that I'm in the minority here, but I actually love shows and I love stories that don't center around romances or unexpected romances. Um, I really hope that, like, with like, I love Doctor Who. My favorite companion that Doctor had was. Uh, was Dr. Donna. So like another person that was literally like his cheeky older sister and they just like badgered each other, but they were best friends. Like I love those relationships because we don't get them a lot in shows and in movies anymore. So I hope that they both temper one another more than anything else, because it's very clear that both of them are distrusting towards the other, but for very different reasons. So I think that it's, it's very clear why Galadriel is not trusting of humans, but it's not quite clear why Halbrand is not trusting of anyone. So it's not, I don't even think he is. He's not, I, you can tell he's not distrustful of her because she's an elf. He's just distrustful. Yep. So you can tell that he's just been through stuff and like, we don't know his story yet. And I don't know. I, I think that there, there's definitely got to be some magical element to like a component of him, but I don't think that he is like, I think he's going to, and I, I'm interested because he is a brand new character. Like we don't know, know. who, we don't know, know. anything about him yet. <laughs> I know, yeah. it's exciting. I, 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 I'm just, I'm trying to piece together what I've got and where it could go. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I have two ideas of, I think he could be a Numenorian and our link to Numenor, the way he talks about his, kingdom being kind of burned to the ground and you know going away i, I don't I don't think he's numenorean he's in the middle I, of the I, ocean that was the other thing but yeah he does mention but the i think south. he's running from something i like, think he, I think is he was too. running from something i think that's why i think he's i think he's from like i think he's from the main I, the mainland like we're in hawaii um but like you know what i mean i don't think he's from numenor i don't think he's from numenor i think he could be a precursor to the men that ultimately become the Corsairs and like the, the piratey type um, mm. faction. Marauders, I also yeah. think he could be Sauron because so Sauron famously, there's another character and I don't remember it and write down his name, but he essentially takes this form and tricks Celebrimbor and others into helping him forge the rings and these other things. Like he 
is not revealed to be who he is in the beginning. This is before he gets the one ring made and becomes all powerful and starts completely dominating things. And if they use the same character name when he appears, then we're all going to know who he is. And I thought well, this could be an interesting twist is to like give him a different name, make him have an interaction with Galadriel. And then I didn't think about that. That would be interesting to me. Um, so obviously we'll see, but I don't know, but I, I like, like you, I'm just hyped that there are these characters that I yeah. don't know. I can't go just open a book and be like, Oh, this is where Halbrand went in yeah. 580 or whatever, whatever it is, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for that. Um, but love, love. I think that what they're going to do honestly is they're going to give you little droplets that make you think this could be him or this could be them. Like, I think that like yeah. we get that with the stranger oh, is like, <laughs> You like there there I think the whole point is like it's gonna be leading up to something when there is obviously gonna be a grand reveal of like who this person is and like there is gonna be that betrayal. I don't know why my brain literally never connected that it could be Hallbrand, but now that I like I like I see it through that lens, I think it's gonna be several people like I don't there's something about Caleb Brimbore. I don't like his face. I don't trust him. <laughs> I don't trust him. <laughs> He's I don't a good guy. Trust him. He was in Downton Abbey. I, I mean, that doesn't mean anything, <laughs> I, but like, I just, I, I think that like, there's just like, there are these people that like, well, okay. I, like separately from a face perspective, I find it so interesting that all the people, as far as I can see in this, with the exception of Elrond, I would not personally have cast any of the elves that we have seen so far. Like, I don't think they have the bone structure, like nothing against them physically, but bone structure wise, like Kella Brimbor to me, looks like a hobbit. He does not look like an elf to me. I feel like they went with a similar bone structure too for the elves. Yeah. And it, and it is a little weird to get used to. It's just it's, not, it's not it's what not I Legolas. mentally. Legolas don't get me is wrong. like. Orlando Bloom set a bar that no man, <laughs> woman, child, or anything in between could cross. Orlando Bloom is Orlando Bloom, and he is Legolas. And then there is oh, when right. I divorce my husband. It's very for Lee jaw. Pace. Oh. He will expect that. <laughs> okay, like he will. He he is accepted that Lee Pace is Lee Pace. So I mean, like you can't hit that again. Yeah. But like you, the casting for these was was an interesting choice because, like you said, they're all of similar bone structure. But I would not have chosen that oh. based off of the description of the elves but like there's just something about Celebrimbor where i just don't trust i don't trust i don't trust that's good i like that though i like that it's giving you those vibes because yeah that'll make it fun to watch well, let's talk about the strangers because you. you mentioned him so let's go there mm. next let's talk about the harfoots they discover the stranger we meet them early on our two main ones that we're gonna be following clearly look like they're gonna be eleanor brandyfoot aka nori and Poppy Proudfellow. Nori seems to be more of like a Frodo-esque, or more like a Bilbo, honestly, like an adventurous. She's curious about the world. I guess that would be more like Frodo. Bilbo kind of got roped into it. Yeah. but <laughs> I actually think that she's she's a combination of Frodo and Pippin. There we go. Because she doesn't think things through. She's, she is curious, but to her own demise. And then I feel like Poppy is very much Sam. But like a more anxious version of Sam, where she's like, "Dude, like, just, like, can you calm down for like five seconds?" Yeah, but she's like, a little more I feel pushy. like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like Nori is is a combination of Frodo and and Pippin. I like that. I like that a lot, and and I liked them. I thought they had good chemistry together. I'm glad that we have a Hobbit creature, a Harfoot to experience. I love the diversity. I know you don't want to get mad about it. 
I think it's incredible. Like they are known to be of darker skin. It literally is in the books that that is there. So stop complaining. I think it's cool. I mean, there are or just stop complaining in general because fantasy. <laughs> it, it there you go. Yeah, I mean, and it's life, and who cares who people marry and what color they are? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I love it. I just love the diversity in the show altogether. I think it's welcome and phenomenal, and I love the way that they are introduced. They are kind of like out there exploring, getting the berries, and they are discovering like these poisoned crops that things are happening and there's this wolf this one shot of this like really creepy wolf hovering is it a in the wolf distance. or do you think it's like is it like a ward it, i mean i think so i wanted it to be more than it was and i immediately yeah. like went to the encyclopedia and i was like okay there's a werewolf in the books that kills galadriel's brother finrod and that wasn't in the prologue and i wish it had been maybe it's this werewolf character but it that's a whole deeper yeah. dive that I, I don't think it's that I think it was probably the precursor of a warg. And I okay. think along with the emergence of the orc from the tunnels that we see and these other little elements, what it's showing us is the evil is appearing. Evil like is these are the creatures. They're slowly starting to yeah. come back. And it's just an example of that. I really wanted it to be like something big and bad, but it never came I back. I thought it was so. going to be like – like two tower style, like attacking people. And I, and I think that that is what the show has done very well is there's a quiet calm that builds tension and then it dissolves. So like, you're all waiting like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to watch like tiny little heart. And I think honestly, I'm going to call it the game of Thrones effect. I think all of us have so much trauma associated with like, I'm about to watch a bunch of like little tiny Harfoots get murdered that like, I was literally sitting there on the edge because I was waiting for the wolf to just start like running into that field and destroying all of the tiny little humans. And oh my gosh, yep. Gilly was the cutest thing. She's like, can I eat these berries? But like, it just literally, it just sat there and then Nori was like, all right, let's go. And, you know, she told Poppy why and like everybody was like, all right, let's like, let's go. And then it was just done. And I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Like, it just, oh, you just know it's hovering. Like you're, you're yeah, just it's that, just there. It's there. They don't know it's there, but you know, it's there and you're yeah. just waiting for the moment when it eventually is going to have to come out and what's going to happen. I also maybe, maybe love the wolf just wanted to graze in peace and we're the ones that are putting tension on the it. Dr- I looked at the fake. That was it not. It was a, hungry, but like oh, maybe it's a vegetarian. Hungry for Harfoot is what it was hungry it could for. Be, it could be a vegetarian. <laughs> Just one of those berries. That's all. Just trying to live his best life. I, I love that there's a dad. There are parents. Yes. Parent hobbits. This is a unique thing that we've never experienced before and a cool dynamic to see. Uh, and I thought, well, and they're caravan people too. And I, I think that like it's really important that they're showcasing, like, and again, this is where trivia comes in really handy as it talks about how like they travel year over year they migrate the same path every year they're creatures of habit which we know hobbits and harfoots are they tend to be which i completely relate with is like they know these are the times of years that we go from here to here to here they generally are you know hidden care like hidden characters they want they don't want to be bothered and they don't want to bother others and i think that there's like a a a quiet comfort in their approach to life. And I love that we are seeing completely different aspects of that approach because all we really got in the Shire was here's the inside of a hobbit hole. Here's the outside. I still to this day want a round door. Owen won't let me have one. But like you, you only got pictures of their life there. You didn't actually get to experience it. And I love that we're getting to experience Harfoot life in like in small ways that are impactful. Absolutely agree. A hundred percent with that. I think it is, it's just a joy to me to, and it's, it's what I wanted from the series. I want to spend, you know, 
a third of an episode just watching hobbits go through experiences in their everyday lives um, and and learning what that might have been like for them at that time. And so they meet the stranger. Seems like their main storyline is going to be tied directly to this character that falls in a meteor about the time that some of the evil is starting to appear. This massive thing, this naked dude. And it's like, what is he? He's big. He's got you know a beard and long hair. In fairness, everyone's big to them. That's right. true. That's very true. <laughs> um, I think the show is definitely trying to make us wonder if it's Gandalf. Uh, right off the bat, there is a rune that he writes at one point that it looks like a G. He is in gray. Obviously, his facial features sort of resemble a Gandalf. If you know anything about the Astari, and the Astari are the Maiar uh, race of wizards that Gandalf was one of. You had Gandalf, you had Saruman the White, you had Radagast the Brown. There are blue wizards that we've never seen depictions of before, etc. So he he's kind of in that vein. He speaks the Fireflies, which I thought was an interesting thing. And, and murders them. He He does. But like, you know how he talks to the moth? In Lord of the yeah. Rings, he speaks to these small bugs and the moth goes off and gets the great eagle. So I think and Gandalf is also known to have been like fiery. He ends up with the elven ring of fire on his finger. Uh, that's the one that he gets. And he's got like a fiery sword. Like he's kind of like the fire guy. And so I just think it's definitely leading us in that direction, which makes me also then think that that's got to be a feint. <laughs> so. What do you think about this whole... We, we trust no one. <laughs> what do you think about this whole mysterious stranger thing that's going on? I I, I agree that they're, they're dropping clues. I don't have enough clues to make a definitive assumption as to what path they're trying to take us on. Because, it, I mean, it could, it could just as equally be Sauron. Like, it could be a number of other people, a number of other wizards that were once gray. And so I think it could go either way. And with us getting the uptick of Sauron at this time, it could very easily be, it could easily be, you know, another direction that they're trying to take us in. I think they are, they've done a really great job of leaving clues. um, But how, again, how we interpret those clues are, are different person to person. I thought that he did a good job of showing that there's a power there that almost he doesn't understand and the parallel of events like when he's riding in the dirt versus, you know, Nori's dad. And I thought that that was important because they haven't necessarily shown whether or not he caused it or whether or not it was a happenstance of events because we know that Harfoots and Hobbits in general are very suspicious and superstitious creatures. So knowing that, like, um, that's what Poppy was worried about is that, like, you know, you brought this, you know, you, you know stranger into all of this. All of a sudden the crops are going to wane, we're, you know, stuff's going to happen. And Nori's just like, I know he's important. And then right away her dad gets injured. So it's one of those things where you're, you have to factor in, like, is he an evil entity that doesn't know that he's evil and like he's causing these things? Like I said, you know, Poppy was where all the fireflies died. Like, is that intent? Like, did he intend to kill them or was he just trying to use them as a vessel to showcase where the stars are? So like, it's, it, it will be very interesting to see where they take it because there are a lot of things that seem to be happening around this stranger mm-hmm. that nobody knows whether or not they're caused by their presence 
whether or not he itself is causing them, whether or not it's happenstance. So I think that it's important to to also try to step back and look at the overall picture of the show and and not as things as individual stories. Um, so because they they do show when he strikes as a meteor, they show the perspective of every single main character we've met so far seeing that meteor come down. Yep. So we also have to take into account that his impact, whomever this person is is going to impact everything greatly. We just don't know what the level of that impact is. And I think that that like tying Nori, like seeing Nori and Poppy both have very different reactions to the stranger, obviously. But then we don't actually see any of the reactions from like Elrond or Celebrimbor or like all we see is them see the meteor and Gal, uh, Gal like we only see him see it and then nothing else. And like we haven't had a reaction from them or anything like that. So I'm interested to see like whether or not they bring up what they saw, because I feel like the elves and their reading of the stars, because they have such high regard for the stars, that it would be interesting if they just like skip over that. But like, yeah, we see Celebrimbor and Elrond, they're just walking through the woods at like two o'clock in the morning for some reason. But all of a sudden they're like, oh, what's that bright light in the sky? And it goes over and then it goes to another person. So like we haven't actually seen how it impacts anybody else yet. I love what you're saying there, because I think, that's so key is it's not just about one season. It's about five seasons. And this is one thing that gives me such great hope about the series is knowing that they went into this with a beginning and an end. I hate serial storytelling that makes it up as it goes because you just inevitably game of Thrones. Yeah. Like that's what happened, right? We ran out of material and that's when it started to falter because they were trying to figure it out as they went they figured the story out first now they're making it and i think that that's going to serve them well and so the stranger is definitely going to be a long-term thing and it seems to me like it will be one of those unifying plot points that eventually will be able to bring our characters together in some way and i love it i love the mystery of it i love that i have spent two or three days pouring over appendices and this encyclopedia trying to figure out any possible clue to who this thing who this guy could be, what it what it is. And and the fact, knowing full well while doing that, that I probably would never figure it out because that's the point. And it's yet I enjoy the journey, the journey, right? It's the joy of the journey. So that's I, all Lord of the Rings is about, though. It's all about the journey. Yeah. And I think that like I feel like the end of the first season is gonna be at least two of these storylines intersecting. Like I don't that's know if it's gonna be it. like Nori and them run into, you know, Hallbrand somewhere, or like Nori and them come across like an orc that's coming out of, you know, somebody else's floorboards or something like that. Like, I think that the end of this of season one is going to be an intersection of two of these two of these main character storylines. The other thing about Gandalf is that he has always, from our knowledge, had an affinity and a love of hobbits. And this would make perfect sense as to, well, why would he love hobbits? Well, because the Harfoots are who found him (laughs) and like initially took care of him while he was coming into his being as this new form and and trying to figure out and learn what it was. I I won't be mad if it's Gandalf. Gandalf is like one of my favorite ever top three or so characters in all of fiction. So it won't bother me, but I also will equally, I think love if they totally surprise me and it's a blue wizard or somebody we've never seen, but I'm excited to find out where that goes. Bronwyn, the healer, the human healer, her son, Theo and a Rondir, the Sylvan soldier that we talked about a little bit earlier. This seems to be our romance subplot. There, Aaron's, your face. Uh, We have an interesting comment that is made by uh, Arondir's partner, elf 
friend. Uh, I think his name is Med Medhir or Med Medor or something. But Medor. He, he talks about how elves and humans have only had two relationships previously, and they both ended in tragedy. He's not quite correct. I think it's a fun piece of storytelling here, where in his perspective, he may you know stories get passed down, and it, he very well may think of these as tragedies. He's referring to Baron and Luthien. Baron being the the human male, Luthien being an elf. Baron, in order to get with Luthien, her dad's like, bro, you need to go get me a Silmaril, which is essentially a suicide mission. He tries, he fails. They end up getting to be together for a little while. Then he ends up going back out the second time to trying to get the Silmaril, and he gets himself killed and ends up ultimately getting to be with her in like spectral form. So they, it kind of is not a tragedy ultimately because they end up together in a different way. The other pairing, their names are Tuor and Idril. And Tuor being the male, Idril being the female or male human, Idril being a female elf. They actually end up together. And after some bad things happen, Tuor gets to be like the first ever male or first ever human, sorry, to go to Valinor and be in the Undying Lands. So again, not really, is it really like that bad? <laughs> Maybe. I feel like tragedy is perspective based more than anything else is like, I'm sure the controversy that those two races coming together and what that caused amongst both humans, elves, as well as the families or partners of people involved. That's where the tragedy comes in. This is the lasting impact of what that romance did. And like, even if people don't end up together, like, even if he had gone off and not died, but like came back and like was still unsuccessful, like them still being together and his the weight of his love to try to even do those things for her, that is not tragic to some people. But other people might see it's tragic because it's just doomed to fail. So I think saying something is tragic is all about perspective. You kind of rolled your eyes at the romance m yeah. mention. So is that because of your general just necessarily dislike? No, it of just it, felt or? forced. Okay. Yeah, I just felt like it it felt it felt like they wanted an unexpected romance within the show. I don't think it's necessarily any any like I don't think it's due to anybody's acting abilities or anything like that. It just felt somewhat out of place, but it could just feel out of place because you only have two episodes. It's like we don't have enough background for it to feel like it's fleshed out in any way for me to actually put weight behind it. It just feels like their quote unquote romance is just stealing glances at one another and occasionally touching each other's hand. And we all know yeah. that elves move slow because time means nothing to them. Yeah. So it's been like, it could be, it could have been 50 years that they've known each other. And er, like Arondir finally was just like, Hey, and now she's <laughs> like, I love you. Like we just, we just don't know. Yeah. Cause we have no backstory. All we know is that they, they have flirtatious glances at one another, which makes, essentially makes Bronwyn like a pariah amongst the other humans in this village. Her son is a douche canoe. Like her son is like, he's like a 13 year old boy. So I get it. But like with no dad. Okay, but your mom is like doing her like doing oh, the best that she awesome. can. I know, and like it's just clear that he's been like like his thoughts have been poisoned by like other people in the village and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like I just I I don't know. I just felt within the first two episodes, it just felt like they were trying to drop the seed of like I love you, but like does he though? Because it just literally mm -hmm. just feels like he feels an emotion, but because he's an elf, he's like I don't know how to do this emotion. I think it might be because I like I like just being near her, but like it didn't like there was like. You could tell they were trying to portray romance, and they did a good job of portraying it as this is how an elf would portray romance. Yeah, but like I just haven't been able to give weight to it myself yet because I haven't seen anything to me that screams that they're both willing to like for each other. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to me, romance is that sacrifice. 
Yeah, it's definitely early, and I agree. It's he's there's no chemistry yet between them, and that's yeah. why it feels very cold and just calculated and not which again elf so not fully like saying not discounting it by any means i just haven't seen something that i'm like oh yeah i want to cheer for them like i and that's i I stand like our comparison in in cinematic terms that we have is arwen and aragorn but like they've been in love for hundreds of years when we meet them well it's also not like just a regular human so yeah like it's all very much it's a very different portrayal this is like the beginnings and so i I do hope we, we grow into it but it, it, they definitely feel like that's a common, and I, and I like that storyline in general being a part of the show. I think it it's important to explore that a little bit further, and it also gives you a, a reason to bring in. I mean, you're gonna have the racism of humans and elves. It's it's a big deal. I have a theory that I can't get out of my head. So Bronwyn, the entire show, and I told you I watched both episodes twice now. Second time, I literally was like pausing. Yes. Yeah. You're doing uh-huh, the thing. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. She I don't never... know. If I forgot people can't see it. Excuse me. But like she's got they the thing, the headband. She's got the headband. And I saw it the never, first time I watched it and I was never, like. Never, never, ever a scene without the tips of her ears covered. She her is. son is shaggy haired and we With never cut. ever see his ears the entire show. And there's comments about his dad having run off. And no one knows who he is or what he is. She is, all we know of her is that she is a healer and that that is her talent. And that is a very elven specialty. Oh, I, yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that she is an elf. I think she's a freaking elf, right? And I, was, I, But I think she was an elf that was in love with a human. And, and I think and this is you. going to, exactly, right? Which I think then when this, if that is how this goes, I think it will all really become interesting with Arondir because then, then we're going to feel flip. like betrayed. And Absolutely. Like, what? But we're I'm also like, you're an elf. Your like sense of perception should have been like, oh, uh, chick is That's always true. wearing that dang headband. That's true. <laughs> Never takes it off. Like maybe just pay a little bit more attention. Like, it, yeah. You can't really be that shocked. <laughs> I'm sure elves smell differently than humans and like their hearts beat at a completely different rate. So I'm like, if you have these hyper, you know, vigilant senses and all of a sudden you're like, what? Yeah. Like, I'm going to feel like that. I'm like, okay, so you're not a good elf then. Like you're, you just showed up for work one you're day. You're a bad soldier it. elf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think Theo is short for something. I think his name's going to be like Theandril or something yeah. different and that they shortened it in order to like live amongst like these humans. Theodore. But when they when we leave the show with their plot line, she tells the human. Also, she's a badass. Yeah, that did she's not like, feel very human to me. She like slams the orc head down after they cut it off somehow, and she's like, "We're going to did, the elf town." It did still feel human to me, only because of how they treated her before she went home and got that. So she was literally like, "Listen the f up." Like, y'all didn't want to believe me, so do you believe me now? Like, she's just fed up at this point. Like, she's like, I tried to help you, and I almost lost my life and my son's life in the process. So do you believe me now? Absolutely. Yeah, we don't know how long, if she is an elf, we don't know how long she's been within this human community. I mean, she could have been there for a long time. Maybe she kind of pulled a... Not not necessarily a Galadriel, but like maybe she kind of pulled a thing where like she was supposed to go home, so she's in hiding from something, and Arondir knows that, so he has to keep up the facade that she is a yeah, human. So like Medor yeah. is never near her. He just knows that he's like peeping on this, you know, human at this village. So maybe That's like Arondir is aware that mm. she's in hiding and like nobody can know that she's an elf and that she's had to live amongst humans. And that's why Theo's also like super resentful is that like 
he doesn't get to have a normal life. He has to live in hiding in some way or another. And so he's like, hey, let me check She's out. probably hiding from the dad. Or? Who's the dad, right? The dad's probably like, True. maybe he's a bad elf. Ooh, I don't know. Okay. I'm excited to find out where that goes. Yeah. The other part of that is obviously the son, Theo, he finds this hilt of a sword or something, some artifact of clearly Sauron's magic. It's got his rune on it. It lights up with fire at the end and his blood like goes toward it and it is a symbol of evil. Uh, and, and so he is another interesting twist that I wonder how that's going to play into like him and this artifact. Is it going to corrupt him? And if it does corrupt him, what's going to happen there? But um, I, I like that additional part of that storyline that it's not just like, oh, here's a subplot romance yeah. and that's all it is. There's more to it. So that was good. And then I guess we have the other big plot line is Elrond, who is sent by Gilgalad to meet your favorite character, Lord Celebrimbor, who you think is a gorgeous man. <laughs> Celebrimbor is a legendary elven smith who is famous for having helped Sauron, unbeknownst to him, forge the Rings of Power. He's not known in the series for doing that, but he's known not yet. in the lore for yeah, doing that. Not yet, but like Tolkien fans, right? Um, ultimately, he's deceived and, able, and does this, and then Sauron secretly imbues the rings that he makes with this magic that then ties them to the one ring that Sauron makes, which obviously controls them overall. So he's very important, very powerful as far as his smithing skills go. I geeked out because... There are two video games that came out in the last decade called Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor and Middle-Earth Shadow of War. And they are like action-adventure games where you're this character who is a human ranger and you're trying to avenge your, your dead wife and you're basically out murdering orcs. That's the plot line. But what happens is Celebrimbor is like a specter and he joins you. He becomes part of you and you actually have his power in you like so you he's like you go into this form where he is actually helping you accomplish things and his storyline he has a tragic storyline as well he hates that he did this and he wants revenge for having been deceived and his family okay, being but like killed. we don't want to we don't want to give we don't want to give people too much okay. backstory we want True, them to experience it can be different and it could be different yeah i was like but we want to let them share experience i yeah. geeked out cuz i was like i have experience with this character and so i'm so jazzed to see where he goes and when he is introduced to by to Elrond and he's talking about it. He's like, "Yeah, we need to build this giant tower." There's yeah, this but he forge comes up at the so top. pompous. Like, he absolutely, uh, he comes up and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah, I know I'm a big deal, but uh, I also feel like I, nothing I've done has been super worthy. And I'm like, "Okay, but you already know that it has, so you're just doing like, uh, there's just something about him. I just don't like it." Well, I think that's probably leading to the kind of personality that we get deceived, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's what we're seeing is like he is probably so going to be so so happy that he gets this opportunity to make these incredible things and help that he doesn't even think about the outcomes of them and the potentials for danger. Yeah, and I mean that's you could say that about almost any inventor throughout history is that like they're there for the science, they're there for the creation of something new and then they find out what people use that new creation for and it's like that was not what I intended or like if I could go back in time I would undo it. But like like you geeked out over like him and like, but you geeked out because you knew the history, like yeah. you knew oh, whatever, but yes. absolutely. I like was He's a vibrating blanket. in my seat <laughs> when we went to Casa Doom. Okay. Like, yeah. Lead I, us there. 
abs okay so like that not only just walk up to the mountain but like that almost like password no pat like that moment i was literally like oh my god like i'm dying but like the the challenge that he issued like that whole sequence of events i can't think of a better way and i don't even want to say a more human way like i'm saying a more human way because i am human but that emotional scene where he's telling him like it's 20 years to you but like you missed my life like you missed things that happened that i wanted to talk to my friend about and you just cast it off because you were just like, oh, it's 20 years. Like, oh, has it has it only been 20? Like, yeah, but elves, okay, I get that you experience time differently, but like you missed some major core events. Part of me wanted to be like, well, like one, did you actually like invite him to those things? Or was he just supposed to like know about them metaphysically? Like, were you just thinking really, really hard and you wanted Elrond to show up? Or like, did you send him a formal invitation? But like, it's, it's one of those things where I, like that whole sequence and also just the artistry and the beauty of what is Casa Doom, like, oh my gosh, they did it so well. Meeting Disa, seeing his children, like their whole home that's in the mountain. The challenge in and of itself was well done because let's be honest, we all know Elrond could have kept going. Like we know he absolutely like threw that to end it because he cared more about like speaking with his friend than he cared about winning the competition. Endurance reputation Um, and and knows the importance of that. He would have lost everything. And so he knew that it was his in into the mountain to figure out why his friend wasn't essentially, essentially, why are you not taking my calls? I like that whole sequence of events. I was like beside myself with Glee in. Like I, I have long loved the dwarves more than anything else, um, which is why I think I was drawn to the Hobbit. But like the whole sequence of events, even like the moment with the Arkenstone and everything like that. And I can never remember his name, but the guy that plays King's voice He's in Harry Potter too, and every time I hear his voice, I'm always just like, oh, "You're gonna be bad in some way. I know you are. Like you're you're gonna you're gonna f somebody over at one point or another. Just like it's just who you are as an actor and character. But like to see those small interactions, to see that there was the dropped hint of like, no, like Elrond doesn't know anything. Like why would he be here for whatever this sparkly thing is? But we also don't know if that's what he was hinting toward. He was just like, no, Elrond doesn't know anything. We think that he's saying like, he doesn't know anything about this potential Arkenstone, but we don't, like it could be something completely different and completely unrelated that he's he's surprised Elrond doesn't know anything about. So like there were a lot of really good clue drops within the first two episodes, but like those moments in Under the Mountain like so happy absolutely yeah i i like you same reasons i I mean i love the dwarves that's why i name a dog after one and i think that it was just so awesome to get to see a dwarf family much like the hobbit families right the harfoots we got a wife and kids they didn't they didn't rise out of the ground they're not just a bunch of warriors on a quest maybe they go on a quest and they fight things later they have families, they have homes. And it adds an additional layer to when you rewatch like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings and you hear dwarves talk about losing their families and losing their wives. And the reason that they're on these quests, right, to like restore their communities. And you, it's, it's so much more impactful once you've seen the community in action and you start to have a heart for that and connect to it. Disa, again, I, oh, I don't even think I said this in the beginning, but to me, I, I made this tweet. I said, I, I think that this show is showing us that the second age is about women and not in some like forced political blah, 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 blah crap way. But every single race has women that are equally important and equally powerful and strong and meaningful to this story. And that is, is so fantastic. 
because and they're not there for the purposes of, and no pun intended, but they're not there for the purposes of dwarfing men and not there <laughs> to like browbeat men, yeah. but they're also not there to just be subservient to men or there as something that is just furthering the plot along. And I think that that's super important is to be specific and say that they are equally important. Not that like, this is a movie about women taking their power back yes. or like women, you know, showing men that they can do what they can do. It's literally like, Nobody's sitting there being like, oh, you don't think I can do this because I'm a woman. Let me show you. Like, it's literally just showing that, like, in all of these communities, women are, women provide equal value in one way or another, whether that be, you know, getting food, making food, you know, reading to children, teaching, like, raising people up. Like, they're equally com important components of a home or of a culture. And I think that that's super important. Gosh, yes. I, I, glad you clarified that because that's what I meant by the second age belongs to women. Um, no, even though it sounds like I, yeah. it sounds like I'm probably no, saying I, like, I know oh, I knew what you meant. Yeah, but, that's but I wanted I meant. to be clear yeah. that like I no, knew what you meant. It wasn't about like only women are the important parts of this story. It's that women were equal parts of the story. Yes, and Disa is a part of that, is a, you know a big part of that, and it's the first dwarf, first dwarf female dwarf we've gotten to see, and. She was awesome. Like, I just immediately fell for her. What does her girl say? Like, it's the beats. Yeah, I, I, he does. Fully expecting her to come out and be like, hmm. It's just so great. Like, you could see their dynamic and we get to hear the story of their romance and like, and just like any couple, like a little bit of a difference of opinion. And, you know, he's like, oh, it was at least five weeks. And she's like, no, it was two. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Like it, and it, again, it gave it a human element. Like, and again, I'm saying that as a human watching it, but like there was something very natural about everything that they did. And I loved that. And her resonating story. Like I didn't know anything. I didn't oh. know what that was, but she's talking about this idea of singing to the mountain and how it helps them find things and also locate things that she was like, we probably shouldn't be messing with. Which we shouldn't be digging down. We know that we know or... what's down in Khazad Doom. We know yeah. where is what the is dwells, lurking. The, what, yeah. the dwells dug too deep. Yeah. So there's a hint of that, and it's just like that's an a that's a an essential part of their mining community, not just hitting it with an axe. Yeah. Because you're a guy dwarf or whatever. So yeah, I I just absolutely loved everything about Khazad Doom, and I'm I'm really anxious to see where that storyline goes and how they get involved. And I think having the Elrond and during the fourth friendship blossom in such a different way than a Legolas and Gimli, it's really cool. And it's going to be neat to see these two leaders versus these two warriors of these two cultures and how they navigate their own. And, and, and they're also leaders who are both in the same position. Durin the third is the king. Yeah. Prince Durin the fourth is, you know, second. He's not there yet. Same with Elrond. He is They're the both number waiting one. in the wings. Yeah. Yes. But they both king. have responsibilities as leaders regardless. Absolutely. And how are they going to impact and, and challenge possibly the orders and the beliefs of the people that do make the decisions when they feel differently? So that's, it's, oh, it's so good. I'm just, I'm really excited for the season. I think, like, I will say, like, they, they set up the first two episodes really well. I'm eager to see how this bleeds through the rest of the season. It's interesting that they chose to not release. I mean, I, it's very strategic that they chose not to release this as binge, that we're all going to get it week over week until October 14th. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I definitely would recommend that if you're confused about why things are the way that they are, there have been a lot of articles written about this as well. Check out the appendices. The x-ray trivia is great as well as far as citing where certain things were influenced and or inspired by. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with this. Uh, I think it's it's 
I, I'm 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 in now that I've gotten to the first two episodes. I I feel same here. More hopeful, and I'm hoping that it doesn't come back and bite me in the butt. Yeah, I mean, all we can do is is ride with it and enjoy it while we have it, you know, and and be honest about how we feel about it. And that's what we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna continue to do. We're gonna do week over week. But so far, so good, and I couldn't be happier. I'm just I'm hyped. Well, okay, cool. Well, this was great. I so much fun. I love it. Tell people where they can find you on social media if they want to come share thoughts about this with you. Yeah, for the most part, uh, you can find me on my blog, essentiallyaaron.com or essentiallyaaron on Instagram. Aaron is spelled ridiculously. It's spelled like a character from Middle Earth. It's E-R-Y-N-N-E. Um, but yeah, essentially Aaron on in the important, you know, most active platforms. Yeah, I love the way your name is spelled, by the way. I think it is very unique and special. I just tell people my parents were drunk. Yeah, well, they weren't, but know, it's easier to tell people that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, they they won even though they were drunk. Yeah. They 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 did it right. Uh, and you can find me at Aaron L White A A R O N E L W H I T E on Twitter, Facebook, Letterbox, everywhere. And then of course the Feel and Film Twitter account, and we have the Feel and Film Facebook discussion group, which there are links to join in the show notes of this episode and every episode that we put out. And you can find Aaron talking about movies and TV and everything there as well. I hope that you will continue to go on this little journey with us as we explore the idea of doing a series and just geek out with us as we talk about Lord of the Rings each week for the next couple months. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon.